0: Well, I'm so blessed that you joined us on this beautiful summer day and uh, hope you have this afternoon. We're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you're a a visitor here today or you're just getting back, uh, uh, we're talking about living well from the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a book that really tells us about life, about he's just totally brutally honest about how crazy and chaotic and difficult life is, how insane it is. He doesn't pull any punches. He, he's this, here's a guy who's gotten to the end of his life, and he, up, up until Jesus, he was the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. He was king of Israel. And so if anybody could have straightened life out, he could have, and I think he was kind of shocked after all the amazing things he did. He was also one of the richest men in the world. And after all the amazing things he did, I think he was kind of shocked that he had not been able to create a perfect world, that he had not been able to stop the chaos. And in fact, he couldn't even, he, he came to the realization he could not even, he could not even continue his own kingdom. In fact, uh, uh, it became true, uh, it, was a self, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that he gave to Ecclesiastes because his son, Rehoboam, took over his kingdom and squandered it, gave away 80% of his kingdom, this incredible kingdom that he built. So he lets us know there's something, that there's something greater than us out there. In fact, the key phrase in Ecclesiastes is under the sun. When he talks about the chaos and the craziness and the meaningless, he used the word meaningless over and over, or the unsustainability of life, the constant changing nature of life, he's always talking about life under the sun. But as we see, as we move through Ecclesiastes, every once in a while, he parts the clouds a little bit and lets us see there's life above the sun. There's one above the sun who makes sense of life, who gives stability, and who is forever. And so everything we do, it's not about whether the organization we build or the house we build or the thing we do. Last to the next generation. It doesn't matter because it's all in the world to come and and in God's kingdom. So we're going to talk about the day. Specifically, we're going to talk about discovering the weight of God. Discovering the weight of God. And let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are bad, when times are, 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 are good, rather, be happy. When times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other, therefore as a man cannot discover anything about his future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise Why destroy yourself. Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, naturally, we're not going to be able to unpack all of those statements. There's a lot of statements there. But keep in mind the futility that he talks about, the negativity, the futility. He's talking about life without the, uh, life with under the sun and he's talking about life without God. The conclusion of a life without God. Here's a news flash, though. It's good for the church to teach people to be happy. I said it's good for the church to teach you and I to be happy and how to be happy. It's good to teach people to stop letting the stuff of life under the sun steal their joy over and over and over in Ecclesiastes. You read it. Uh, I I did a search on it. I think it was like six or seven times the words, be happy, are in the book of Ecclesiastes. So Solomon is telling us that there's a possibility that you can lead a, a happy life, and I believe the church needs to, there's some reasons the church doesn't always teach people about happiness, and we'll get into that in a moment, but uh, we need to return to teaching people how to be happy and that happiness is a good thing let's not, let's not be like uh like this church here that said don't let worries kill you let the church help <laughs> the ter- the church needs to get back in the business of teaching people to be happy we we you know we've taught this complicated concept that says um we should have joy, but not happiness. You know, that happiness is for pagans and joy is for Christians. Because Joy is some deep down thing that none of us really understand, but it's just something deep down. Uh, but, but we don't believe in happiness, you know. But listen, when you're mad or you're crushed or you're down or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious, can you tell the difference between losing your happiness and losing your joy? Well, I didn't lose my happiness, but I lost my joy. I didn't lose my joy, but I lost my happiness. Our teacher, and in, 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 in Solomon calls himself the teacher, in chapter 7 teaches us about the one constant that will increase your happiness and reduce your frustration. One constant in life. By the way, I have struggled in my life to be a happy person. I'm not naturally a happy person. I'm not naturally a bubbly person. I I'm kind of an anxious person, my natural self. Unless I really work at it, try. I'm kind of an anxious individual, and uh, I remember one time, uh, Sherry and I uh, were pastoring, and and, uh, really, really, I look back, things were going pretty well. Our uh, church there in Westfield, Massachusetts, we had uh, uh, sold the building downtown, kind of did a similar thing that we did here. uh, we bought 22 acres of land. Uh, I, I was like 20. We were in our mid 20s when we were pastoring this church, and we bought 22 acres of land. Beautiful, beautiful property in Westfield, out on the edge of town, and it had an old celery barn on it. We we transformed that old celery barn into a church, and uh, that's where um, that's where our children, uh, first two children, were born, and uh, life was good. We took this church that was really been through a lot you know I've I've never been offered a church that that was was successful and nobody thought I could handle that I, Sherry and I always got offered churches that just only one way they could go was so man, that's and, and uh, so that was one of those churches and the, the pastor had really messed up before us really bad and, and made a mess of things and so that's the church and, and we'd built it up and we were we are probably running, you know, 150 to 200 people. And, but uh, it wasn't good enough for me, and I, I was frustrated all the time because I thought it was supposed to be bigger than that. And we were in the shadow of a church that was about 11, 1,200 people. In fact, it, some of you have been there. It's called Bethany, Assembly of God. <laughs> and God has a sense of humor because uh, I was really frustrated at Bethany Assembly of God because every, every time somebody would get hap- unhappy with me, or or did, would want a program that we didn't have because they had a lot more programs than we had. They would leave our church. It was always somebody going to Bethany, you know, and uh, uh, just a lot of things like that. I, I was young, and I, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I really uh, loved to preach and do music, but really, I didn't really know what to do with all those people. You know, I, I found out I had they wanted to talk to me, <laughs> They, after church, they wanted to talk to me, and I wanted to go out the back door, because and, and, I had done my job, you know. And uh, they wanted to talk to me, and they wanted to make, you know, ch- church government. Uh, I, I could tell you all kinds of stories about trying to do church government, because I was told that I, I had to have a board, so I got a board, and, and Henry was on the board. That, that was the problem. Henry was on the board. <laughs> and he had the gift of againstment. <laughs> Whatever I wanted, he was against it. And uh, well, I remember one time it got so bad. Henry and I just would anything I wanted to put it. There was no air conditioning in the nursery, and and he wanted to, he wanted to go shopping for the air conditioner in the nursery. And and if you knew Henry, you would never let him go shopping for the, anything like that. Not not that he couldn't find it, but it would take about three years So he would find an air conditioner that would be cheap enough that the church budget could handle. And uh, I remember one time I said, Henry, we're not going to see eye to eye. And I was wise enough to know that as a 20-something-year-old kid pastor. And I said, we're not going to see eye to eye, uh, but every morning this week, I want you to meet me at 6 o'clock for prayer. And for a whole week, we, every morning, we met. I said, we're not going to talk about anything. We're just going to pray. And <laughs> we prayed every morning for a week. And actually, we never fought after that. We, never, we really had no conflict. Uh, we've reconnected since I've come back up here, and uh, we just kind of looked at each other and laughed that we had all that conflict over the years but 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 Henry and his wife haven't changed in fact when when we took this church uh, many, many years ago now, and they came into our apartment over in Millis where we were living, they come in and sit at the table, and the first thing that that Olga did, his wife, the first thing she did was she looked up at the light, like a little chandelier above the table. She said, that's got dust on it. The, I mean, that was, that was Henry and Olga, man. They're probably listening to my podcast. I, you know, I, re- I really don't care. I really don't care. I deserve to get something out of that a <laughs> tedious relationship. <laughs> but all that kind of stuff, I didn't know how to balance my emotions, even though God was blessing our ministry. And, you know, Sherry just doesn't stay unhappy, uh, but I'm always up and down, and, and, and she could just endure anywhere and keep going. But I, I just one day decided to quit, and I did. I quit. I resigned the church, and... We bought a nice, really nice home on the other side of town. We sold the home, and a bunch of, I made some really bad decisions. I bought a, bought a travel trailer. We were going to go traveling and all this stuff, and ended up letting the trailer go back. I lost money, of uh, money that we, we'd gotten out of the sale of our home. I basically lost it, you know, with the equity that we'd gotten out of our home, and I was riding along uh, with my brother one day in the car, and I was... Complaining and 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 you know talking about how bad I felt the decisions I had made and all this stuff and I probably shouldn't have resigned the church but it was too late I couldn't go back, and he said he said no oh, you know Phil, uh, people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for an education. Why don't you just consider this the cost of your education? <laughs> because and, and so so I want to. Uh, Unfortunately, I've been trying for years to find a real pair of scales. And I can't find any pair of scales that really work. They don't use scales anymore. So all I've got is this kind of fake scale. But happiness works like this. It's like you have... God has created you to live in balance. God has created you to live in balance. Whether it's ecological balance in our environment. You need so much rain. You need so much sun. Uh, whether your own body, you need so much food, you need so much exercise, you need a certain amount of sleep in order to be healthy physically. Well, emotionally, you you need balance, too. And so what my brother did for me, see, I was all out of balance. I was like this. If I could do this, it was like this. I was like this. I was all out of balance. And the weight of life, uh, we'll say the weight of life is on this side. The weight of life had gotten on top of me, and I, was, I couldn't get happy. I just couldn't, because my mind... What happens is your mind starts looping and telling yourself stories and accusing you. Of, and you're an idiot. You know, you're, 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 you're stupid. You're, you, you can't do this. Your mind starts looping and telling you stories. This also happens in relationships, by the way. When you get into a conflict with somebody, you go off and you write a whole work of fiction. You write a whole work of fiction about everything that person is, and everything they think, and everything blah blah blah, and you just make up you make up all these stories about one another. And I know uh, I know uh, Steve Light, my psychologist friend, calls it looping when you do that in a relationship, and you do it in your you do it within yourself. So what my brother did, I'm like this, and he said that, that immediately my depression lifted when he said that when he said that. Just consider, first of all, he, he didn't shame me. He didn't add to my weight of shame. I already had plenty of that. He, he didn't add to my weight of shame by saying, yeah, you're pretty stupid, yeah. <laughs> I would have never done that. I've never done anything like that. He didn't add to my weight of shame. But he was, first of all, he was lighthearted. And he gave me a, a, some wisdom. Wisdom. He gave me a word. That was really was a word of Wisdom. What if you considered all your losses as the cost of your education? What if you considered all your setbacks as the cost of your education? So what it did brought me back into emotional balance. And now now I was happy. Without without getting the money back, or without reversing the decision, I still had to work out that decision. And it really resulted in me being here. So it was really a good thing, wasn't it? (laughs) For me, for me, I don't know about for (laughs) you. <laughs> now, I've spent much too long on that on the introduction of my sermon today, so let's let's listen fast. But I believe I do believe God has something to say to us about wisdom and God and the, the and, and the weight of God and the weight of wisdom, but and I'll explain in a minute. They're synonymous. The weight of God and the weight of wisdom are the same, is what produces real, authentic, genuine happiness. And we all struggle with that. Can Can you believe the amazing difference in New Englanders when the weather is warm and the sun is shining? This place. I mean, if you if you've never lived somewhere else, like I've lived in Florida and Texas, you you, I, you 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 may not know this about yourself. If you're a native New Englander, you've never lived anywhere else. But you change. You change in in November. And and you don't get happy till April or May or sometimes June. I mean, really, really, people people don't people don't really talk to you around here in those gray months. And then all of a sudden, it's like you're down south. How you doing, man? What's going on? It's just like transformation uh, because the things of life. Weigh us down. Solomon teaches us the real, that, that there's a counterweight, though that you can even be happy in the winter if you if you figure this out today and you understand what I'm trying to say. Solomon teaches us the reliable counterweight to the frustrations of life is the God of wisdom and the wisdom of God. The God of wisdom and the wisdom of God is the reliable counterweight to the frustrations of life. It's not just a matter of believing there's a God out there somewhere. It's a matter of embracing the superiority of his way and the wisdom of his way. In 18 verses here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the teacher weaves in and out of the subject of virtue, the discipline of learning, and wisdom, all with the intent of teaching us to regulate our emotions. Do you understand what happiness is about, it's about regulating your emotions. It's not about just getting good things to happen to you or having good events. That's what we're all many of us are trying to do. We're trying to have enough good things happen to us. We're trying to have enough good events that we could become happy people. But that's not how you become a happy person. You don't become a happy person by going out and having enough good happy moments. And there's a place for happy moments. And you see, early Christians, and here's the, the, why the church hasn't dealt really well, I don't think, with emotional regulation and happiness. It's because Christianity was deeply influenced by something we call Stoicism. In, the, in, in, in Paul's day, there were Stoics and there were Epicureans. So Stoicism and Epicureanism, You learned some new words today. I'm sure you can use those in your uh, social media activities this week. Stoicism, Epicureanism. Stoicism was about controlling your emotions, controlling your feelings, being morally right. Apostle Paul was a Stoic. He came from a Stoic community outside of Jerusalem. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Stoic. And, and though I have total confidence in Paul, I know I, ri- I highly recommend Paul to you. Uh, I highly recommend him, but he was he was influenced by his stoicism. He was just just his personality. Just look at the way he behaved and what he did. He, he didn't become a totally different person when he got saved. He just He just changed teams. He just changed teams. he changed jerseys. He went and played for the Christian side, and he was as, he was as great a Stoic for Christians as he was for, for, for the Pharisees. But when we discover the weight of God, see, so Christianity is effective. At the roots of Christianity is do the right thing and don't worry about, walk by faith and not by sight. What we really mean by that oftentimes is walk by faith and don't worry about your feelings. Your feelings are inconsequential. They don't matter. But I'm going to tell you something. Your feelings matter. You cannot possibly go around all the time invalidating how you feel. You've got to figure out how to feel better. If you're going to do this Christian life and you're going to do it well and you're going to live well, period. Forget just being a Christian. You're going to live well, period. You're going to have to learn and figure out and let God help you to figure out how to get in a better mood. That's biblical. It's totally biblical. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. The Bible says with joy we draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now, a, 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 another see. let me say this. When we discover the weight of God, we cannot help but live a happier life. Because His words are always wise. His way is always right. And His plan is always eternal. I want to talk to you about moving something more stable onto the right side of your scale. Something more stable on the right side of your scale than just the experiences of life that you're trying to have. Prior to the 17th or 18th century see, happiness was considered a matter of luck. The word uh, actually came from the word hap, which is an old Norse word, which means luck or chance. So it, there, the, so really, uh, before the seventeenth, eighteenth century, most people in the world really didn't expect to be happy. The happy people were just the lucky. It was the elite. It was the the lucky few people who had a lot of wealth, and they had servants, and they had uh, they had uh, uh, power, and they had authority, and they had land. And they had possessions. And so there were, there were just a few lucky people that got to be happy. And everybody else served the happy people. That's kind of the way it was before the 17th and 18th century, really, in the world. Now, now But something happened that we call, you know it, you studied it in school, the French Enlightenment. The, the, the Enlightenment happened in France. And the leaders of the French Revolution declared that every man has a right to be happy. All of a sudden, happiness went from something that was by chance till it became something that was your right. In fact, Thomas Jefferson declared the right to pursue happiness as a self-evident truth. And why did he say those things? Because before that, people didn't know that they had a right to be happy. Uh, George Mason was a colleague of, of... of him, and he declared in the Declaration of Rights, he said, he's, he's talked of pursuing and obtaining as happiness as a natural endowment and right. And there was a French Revolution leader named Saint Just who said in 1794 happiness is a new idea in Europe. Now by the end of the 19th century, this idea of the right to be happy had degenerated into this idea that we had to constantly pursue things and pursue possessions and pursue experiences that would make us feel good, all the while we were ignoring an ancient book. We were ignoring this ancient book called the Bible, that had been saying ever since it was first written that God wants us to be happy and God holds the keys to a happier life. One that doesn't deny happiness in possessing purchases and experiences, but it's not limited to those things because its foundation is trusting the wisdom of an eternal God and it's not built on having another high or another experience. The wisdom of the weight of wisdom is the weight of God. And the weight of God is the secret to a happier life. So in chapter 7, Solomon relates the wisdom of God to regulating our emotions. First of all, he says in verse 1, a good name is better to be chosen than fine perfume. So he he's saying virtue relates to happiness because bad moods cause bad decisions. You want to know when you're going to make a bad decision? Well, Probably you made that bad decision right after you were in a bad mood. We, we steal. We, ch- we, we lie. We cheat. We abuse the people we love because we're not happy. We sabotage our good name because we can't regulate our emotions. We either reach for addictive forms of sex or drugs or work. or We steal the dignity of our employees we are our coworkers, or our spouse by diminishing them when we fail to find the one thing that will regulate our emotions because we are upset. Genesis 4, 6, and 7. God said to the, to the, the, the second man he created, Cain, who was in a bad mood, he was in a bad mood because he felt bad, to, he felt bad that God liked his brother's sacrifice more than his. And instead of talking about how he felt bad and, and, and seeing that as the problem, that if he would have just realized the problem is I'm not happy. The problem is I'm not not happy about something. I need to figure out what I'm not happy about and what I need to do about it. Instead, he just got angry. In fact, God, this is the first counseling session in history. God said, listen to what God said. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Well, God says when you get in a bad mood and you get all down and angry, sin is crouching at your door and sin desires to have you. And Satan, the adversary, uses the portal of your emotions to get control of your life and to cause you to do something that for the rest of your life you may regret. How many have ever made a bad decision when you were in a bad mood? Raise your hand. I think I think I I think a, I think the vote was yes. The, the, I think the yays won and the nays lost. Chris Brady is one of my favorite uh, Twitter guys, and he said, "Never underestimate a person's ability to justify his own behavior when he feels mistreated." <laughs> that should be, I should put that on the wall. My preaching is off the wall. <laughs> Never underestimate a person's ability to justify his own behavior when he feels, or she, we'll be, we won't be sexist here today, when he or she feels mistreated. <laughs> Solomon also says the discipline of always learning relates to happiness Because bad times are always instructive. One thing that helps your happiness is you don't view bad times as the end of the world. But you view them as great opportunities for wisdom. Like my brother told me. This is the price of your education. Suddenly, that stupid decision I've made looked like an investment in myself. (laughs) Solomon said it is better to go to a house of mourning. This is what he's talking about here. This is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. He's saying he's trying to show us the value of bad times, the value of difficult things. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise. See, one of the things that will make you unhappy is trying too hard to be happy. Trying to just feel, trying just not to have any, any sadness in your life. But you got to know, this sadness, this is a season of sacrifice that I need to go through, a season of difficulty. I need to walk through this. Don't run from it. You know, people run from all sorts of ways. They get drunk. They take drugs. They, they, they go have sex with people they shouldn't be having sex with. Uh, in order, to, why do you do it? Because you're a bad person? No. You you do it because you want to change your state. You want to change your mood. And God says, I will show you a better way to change your mood. I will show you a way. I will show you a way to work through your mood that will not involve something that's going to be self-destructive. God's not withholding all that stuff in the church. That's another thing, the stoicism, how it's badly affected the church. It's just, if you do that stuff, you're, you're, you're horrible. And if you do that stuff, it means you don't love God. If you do, no, no, you do that stuff. The reason God withholds, God says don't do that stuff is because it's bad for you. And God loves you. And it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt your kids, and the, or even the kids you're going to have that you haven't even had yet. It's going to hurt if you do these things and you take these paths. Please, you know what God is saying today? Please trust me. Please just trust me. I've been around longer than you. Just trust me. I, 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 I'm reading a book now uh, about halfway through called The Death of Expertise. And you're going to hear some stuff from it, I'm sure, but it's just about the fact that we're living in a, an environment now and the internet has something to do with it but it's really not all because the internet the internet just gives expression to to what we are that nobody's that everybody's an expert now and because everybody's an expert nobody's an expert no, as a rule and i'm being pessimistic here as a rule people don't argue to learn anything anymore they just argue to to further Validate or further go deeper into their own opinion, and so so we need to take a break from that and and step back and say you know I could learn something, God has wisdom for me that He can teach me. Uh, he goes on to say it's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than listen to the song of fools. Bill Buckley, Milford Board of Selectmen, and I were talking a few weeks ago, and he talked to me about the opioid crisis in Milford. Now now I'm, I'm talking about. The, the the fact that we the fact that we don't see difficulty and even pain sometimes is an opportunity to, to learn. That's what I'm talking about right now. And he, he he said to me something very interesting. He said the problem is we have a culture that it has a zero tolerance for pain. We have a culture that has a zero tolerance for pain. And th- this because this is because in part we don't think there's anything to learn from pain from times that are boring or tedious, from processes that involve sadness and mourning. But, you know, uh, uh, Chrissy and uh, Steve are over here, and Chrissy's uncle just passed away yesterday, I guess it was, or did he pass away the night before yesterday? And uh, they, I had the honor and privilege of going there and praying with him before he passed away. And this, this happens so often to me that I don't, think anything of, I, I still think about it, but, but I don't I'm not surprised by it anymore that I walk into those rooms where people are dying and and I've done it way more than I wish. I had have done it in my life, but that's part of what we do. You know what? There's a strange kind of joy in the presence of death. There's a strange kind of joy, not, not always. there's a few times I can say it wasn't there. But there's this many times, many many times, you can feel the nearness of God in that environment. It's not because dying is beautiful or anything like that. I'm not saying that. It's not because dying is beautiful or we, we don't want that love when you go. It's it's because God is God is there. The Bible says he's. Near. I know I say it thousands of th- thousands of times. He's near to the brokenhearted. So if we run from sorrow, if we always run from pain, if we always run from difficulty, and we don't just let ourselves get into it, just let ourselves go there and just let ourselves be there. I, I talked to a, a a fine architect yesterday and we got talking about the things of God and he was talking about a friend that's having this horrible crisis in his life and, and he started to he started to tear up and when he began to talk about it, because he began to talk to me about how much he finds the pleasure of God when he's with that friend who is struggling. The weight of wisdom is the weight of God, and the weight of God is the secret to a happier life. When we ask for the weight of God, frustrations, disappointment, and setbacks are schools of higher learning. We don't seek problems, but when they come, we don't race to the conclusion that this is all bad, that will help you. Wisdom relates to happiness because only fools invest for immediate results. Ecclesiastes 7, 6, and 7, Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, he says, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Wisdom relates to happiness because only fools invest for immediate results. A fool starts a business with no financial margins, leases a Lexus because it makes him feel important, and he thinks it will impress his prospective clients, like the crackling of thorns under a pot. It's just there, and it's going to be gone. It flashes for a moment, but it can't be sustained, unlike a a nice piece of cured hardwood that you put in the fire, and you sit back and you enjoy the smell and the warmth of the fire. When we're foolish, we do things that bring us immediate results, but we are not going to work out in the long run. You see, society today is on a collision course with disaster because we've removed the weight of God. We've removed the weight of God and the tiny, insignificant mankind. Tiny, insignificant mankind is jumping up and down on the scales, trying to make sense of life. But it's not Working, It's not working. Society, we're not, we're not getting closer and closer to utopia. We're just not. Wisdom relates to moral guidance because knowing right from wrong requires a higher power. I'm talking about why we need the weight of God. We need the weight of God because moral guidance requires that we have a higher power. Consider what God has done, he said. Who can straighten out? uh what uh, who can straighten what God has made crooked when times are good to be happy when times are bad and so let me just stop there what do we mean by that who can straighten out what God is crooked what God has made crooked what does that mean that means that God has wisdom in the last word about what is right and what is wrong but we've made a big mistake in our culture today we've stopped eating from the tree we, we we, we need to stop, I should have said, we need to stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and start living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, this is the basic thing that Eve did and Adam did, ultimately, that was wrong. They said, we want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so we will have within our authority to know what is right and what is wrong. We won't have to go ask God what is right and wrong. We won't have to depend on his word to tell us we are going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of evil because we will figure it out ourselves. And although what I'm going to do right now, it might be wrong for other people, but it's not wrong for me. I just know. How do you know? Well, I just know. I, I, how, do you know? How, do you, how do you know it's going to work? Well, I, I, just, I just feel uh, doing it the way you're saying just doesn't work for me. God is saying today, folks, he's saying, trust me. Will you please trust me? I love you. I want your highest good. Ph.D. Greg Henrikes writes in an article that I read entitled Finding Our Moral Compass. He said, watching political discourse... I often experience a longing for an authentic discussion of the core values that ought to be guiding us in society. I often feel we're morally adrift, that we do not have a clear sense of how to ground our identities and actions to the ultimate values that transcend time and place. He said, instead of a moral compass, people have been given enormous freedom to construct their own lives and make their own moral decisions. Although this outcome has many positive elements, it's also resulted in large numbers of people, and at least in America, who are fundamentally unsure when it comes to their philosophy of life. They don't seem to know that they are doing the right things with their lives. They don't seem to know what the right things are. And he goes on, I'm not going to read the rest of that, but he goes on to talk about how the emerging generation cannot have a moral crisis because they have no place to start. They have no framework. Why? Why don't we have a framework for having a moral crisis? Well, we've taken the weight of God and we've dismissed it. Now we're on our own. We're on our own. We don't have the weight of God on the emotional scales of our life. So we're on our own, and God's saying, I never, I never g- gave you guidance because I didn't like you, because I wanted to lessen your joy, because I wanted to lessen your prosperity. But the Bible says, May you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. The, God, look through the Bible. God made some people very rich and very prosperous. God doesn't have a problem with you being prosperous, God doesn't have a problem with you having the great and awesome experiences of life. God created every single nerve ending in your body that is able to experience pleasure. Why would he have done that if he thought you having fun and pleasure and, and enjoying things, why would he do that if he was against it? The Bible says God has given you, it's right in the Bible, some of you don't believe it because you're not reading the Bible, you're reading what some skeptics say about the Bible. But if you would read the Bible, you would see the Bible says God has given you all things to enjoy. God has given you all things to enjoy. God is not a colossal killjoy standing up in heaven with a club in one heaven, a magnifying glass in the other, seeing if you're going to mess up so he can club you. That is not what God is about. God is begging you to come back and be his child. God is begging you to come back. To his wisdom that he wants to give you, in the words of uh, Joel Osteen, your best life now. (laughs) Just hang with me. I want to share with you in closing today. I want to share with you in closing today what culture did with the redefinition of happiness from the French Enlightenment. What they did and what emerged out of that. Here's what happened. When we got into the 19th century, leaders around the world, as this philosophy changed and this thing spread all over the world, it spread all over Europe, it came to America. The right to be happy, the right to the pursuit of happiness, the right to have experiences that made us happy. So everybody now had a right. The world had changed. Three philosophers emerged to try to help leaders know and people know how to manage this chaos of everybody doing their own thing and everybody finding their own solutions to happiness. The first one was a guy named Frederick Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. And here's what Nietzsche said. Here's, I'm talking about and he was concerned with how do we govern Human beings who are out of control. Nietzsche said, superior humans must dominate the weaker ones. In other words, there's these few people who are going to have enough wisdom to tell everybody else what to do, so these superior humans are going to dominate the weaker ones. Joseph Stalin studied Nietzsche. If that gives you an idea where this goes? Did it produce... Joy and happiness. No. The the second philosopher was Karl Marx. Now, Karl Marx, Karl Marx played off of Nietzsche. He had read Nietzsche and he said, virtue is in the heart of the working class. Virtue is in the heart of the working class who must overthrow the elites and they will create create a well-ordered society and everybody will be happy. Now we'll have happiness. And... Uh, another philosopher emerged that you're more familiar with, as uh, you that are Americans and Westerners, is is Sigmund Freud. And Sigmund Freud said, "No human, he, he, no. The problem isn't that we don't need hierarchies and we don't need all of that. We don't need revolution. We don't need to have revolution, which is what Marx uh, 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 wanted to see. and 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 uh, and you'll have constant revolution there." This, this, Freud said, we just need to help under, people understand where their bad feelings come from. And, that, and, and, and we, if their unconscious mind is made conscious, then humans can control their urges. We can, we can control ourselves if we just understand that it was our mother was the reason that we're not happy. You moms, Freud was rough on you mothers. You mothers were the cause of all evil in the world. But what if we simply brought back the weight of God? And we took I'm sure that Nietzsche had some truth that we can learn from. I'm sure that Marx even had some truth that we can learn from. There is, there is power and wisdom in the masses sometimes. Sometimes the man needs to be dealt with, right? <laughs> Freud, I'm sure, had some wisdom for us. But what if we said, okay, Nietzsche, sit over there. Go have a seat. Marx, go have a seat. Freud, go have a seat. We're going to put Jesus, the greatest philosopher ever lived. You know, you know what the Bible calls Jesus? You know, you know what they said about Jesus? John the Baptist said, a greater than Solomon is here a greater than Solomon is here let's put Jesus back here and let's put God back here and God says everyone is deeply sinful but deeply loved and invited to enjoy eternity the end of the journey is God nothing else humanity is a sea the Bible depicts humans as a sea a raging sea, but God is a beautiful island in that sea. And he's fighting you. What if you made that simple but basic decision today? What if, you, what if I could get you to make that simple, basic decision to trust God? That's what I want to bring you to. Simply trust God. From this day forward, that you would trust God with all your heart. You would, you would, use the, you would take the three gifts that God has given you, which is the gift of worship, The gift of giving other people dignity and the gift of enjoying his creation. You would take those three things and you would say, I'm gonna trust God. Now, some of you don't don't trust God because you think if I give my life over to God, I'll have to be unkind to people who don't morally line up with the Bible. Or and, and, and I'll have to stop some practices that make me happier. I'll have to start practicing things like going to church and giving my money. I'll have to do if I if I let God control. You know what? If you're thinking like that, I want to challenge you. You need to apologize to God. You need to apologize to God right now. Anybody who would send his son to die on a cross is someone you could trust with your life and you could trust with your desires and you could trust with your morals and you could trust with your decisions You could trust that he's somebody who's not going to turn you into a sidewalk prophet with a sandwich board telling everybody that they're going to hell. That you could trust him not to be that kind of God if he would send his son to die on the cross for you. Imagine a church or a community where thousands of people worship God, gave dignity to all people, and enjoyed creation. Let me say those three things again. Imagine a church full of people that worship God, gave dignity to all people, even the people we don't agree with, even the people who have a lifestyle we don't agree with. That doesn't matter. We're called by God to give them dignity. Worship God, give dignity, and enjoy. I'll bet there's some things about the creation you're going to get to enjoy before this day is over. Before this day is over, sunshine, food, maybe your favorite leisure activity, your grandkids or your kids. I don't care. Before this day is over, you're going to get to enjoy creation because that's a good, the good, good father you have. I said, that's the good, good father you have. Will you trust him with your life? I want some of you to come down here today and I want you to say to these prayer partners, I've decided to trust God. Don't bother explaining what that means. or don't. They may want to give you some more counseling, but I want you to come down here, some of you, and I want you to tell these prayer partners, listen, I've decided to trust God. I've decided to take my burdens, my frustrations, and I'm going to give them to God today. How many of you would do that today? How many of you would raise your hand? I'm going to do that today. I need to do that today. How many of you need to do that today? I want you to come down first right now. I'm going to pray a quick prayer when I'm done praying. You who raised your hand and others maybe didn't. Come on down and be prayed for today. Come take communion, all of you. Let's participate. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take our pain, our our regrets, our sorrow, and let's give it to you today as we come and we trust you and we are willing to surrender to your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come and be prayed for. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.